Welcome to the 52 Pearls Weekly Money Wisdom Podcast. I'm Melissa Joy, a certified financial planner and founder of Pearl Planning. And I'm Melissa Friedenberg, financial advisor with Pearl Planning. Pearl Planning is a financial planning and investment management company located in Dexter and Gross Point, Michigan. We work with clients all around the country. The purpose of our podcast is to explore specific financial topics and provide advice you can use in your everyday life. Hello, and welcome back to the 52 Pearls Weekly Money Wisdom Podcast. It's Melissa Joy here today, and I am so pleased to be joined today by Catalina Kaira Wongs. She is the founder of LoanSense. She's a University of Michigan master's grad with a master's of education and a master's of business administration. Catalina, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Melissa. Really excited to be here. Well, you're doing some fascinating work in the world of financial technology, specifically in analyzing and educating on student loans. Yeah, I'd love to hear just a little bit about how you got there, and then we can talk about the topic at hand, which is how to manage your student loans and the financial decisions around it. So how I got here before I came to Michigan, actually, to the University of Michigan, I was working in the education space and helping Uh, those who may have um, rising students who may be undergrad soon understand the whole FAFSA process and helping specifically um, students access Pell Grants and understanding the FAFSA process. And the FAFSA is the application that you complete when you have a, when you or a kid of yours is going to college to apply for financial aid. Yep, precisely. And so what we found was millions of um, dollars were left on the table for our county. People weren't filling it out. And so um, we were, and basically in the state of Florida, they can get their entire tuition paid if they, especially if they're Pell Grant recipients. So we had this huge drive. We moved FAFSA completion from 32nd to second in the state of Florida. And as a result, I got uh, nominated. I led that and I got nominated for a Gates funded education policy fellowship where I went on and worked in higher education finance and saw just how generous the federal government was around student loan forgiveness and the possibilities of all kinds of programs to help with student loans. Yet there was a um, obviously complexity and lack of connection between the programs and the ability to get access to loan forgiveness. So I basically, when I went on to my master's after my Gates fellowship, I realized Um, I really wanted to do something about this and seeing how much confusion, you know, there's a lot of services when you're in school to help you get the aid, but then once you graduate, it's kind of like you're on your own and you're Mm -hmm. swimming in the sea of, let me try to Google this. And I saw a perfect opportunity to build not just a technological solution, but a true digital advising um, support services for individuals and those that help them, right? Like advisors, thinking about formats that we can innovatively infuse loan recommendation engines into mainstream technologies as well. Like when you're about to take out a mortgage or what point of interventions are appropriate, right? To help people with their student loans in the time they need it the most. So that's essentially 
how it progressed. I went from being kind of a nonprofit leader to seeing the void of help in this space post-graduation to really wanting, graduating and wanting to do something about it. So that's my story on how I got here. Well, that's fascinating. I think that the student loan debt is a big hurdle to people accessing financial advice from financial planners. Mm -hmm. In the traditional model, people look for how much money do you have? Because I'll talk to you when you've gathered some money and then we can do something with it. And if you have student loans and the tens are in many cases nowadays, hundreds of thousands, even with an extraordinary education and ability to earn great money, then it delays the point in time that people access that financial advice. And I hope that services like yours, as well as models where you can hire a financial planner earlier in your career, because you you don't have to just pay for it based on the assets that someone is managing, are both ways to have better financial outcomes for the people involved. Yeah, no, absolutely. So that's also a huge myth that I like to address with advisors. Now, so many people are going back to school, getting their master's, dual master's, PhDs, and, and, and coming out with these professional degrees like JDs and MDs, where it's the new norm, right? To carry hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. In the yep. 80s, average medical school debt was 20,000. Now it's over 200. So now it's like people just accept the new reality of that they're just going to carry this debt for whatever amount of time. It's not like they're hoping to accelerate payoff. They just live with this new reality now. And so the idea that just because you have debt means you're never going to acquire assets is just simply not the new reality of our generation. You know, That's and so, so true. And, it, it, yeah. and we need to adjust so that we're better capable as financial professionals of providing a holistic advice with that in mind. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so what I'm recognizing working with advisors is there's this very clear idea and model of like, let's just get people to pay off their student loans as quickly as possible um, without understanding that there are access to a lot of different programs that can help people reduce their loan burden and get loan forgiveness um, or access specific state level programs, but there's just not enough understanding around that piece. Yeah. I want to dive in. Let's roll up our sleeves and dive into that part of the conversation. So you've described a deficit and a gap in knowledge that when it comes to financial, when it comes to financial decisions about student loans, or you've taken the loans now, how do you pay them back? Basically, Right. So what are you seeing? What are some of the biggest misses or areas where we need to expose light and educate. Yeah. So the biggest, I think, misses is that, you know, when you Google student loans after you graduate or you get that letter from your servicer kicking into repayment and you Google student loans, the majority of things that you will find are blogs that come up and push you to consider refinancing. Mm -hmm. And that's because all those blogs make money off of pushing you to consider refinancing. And it's big business to refinance, right? Right. There's some really big organizations that have been, they may have been startups like yours, but they've been purchased by bigger um, banks and things like that. And they're backed by billions of dollars of advertising money. And they're willing to pay like $1,000 per every person they get to refinance. So there's big money going into pushing refinance. And the misses that I see people making is, number one, not understanding um, 
if refinance is truly optimal for you. So if you're, you have no plans to pay your loans off within five years and accelerate that payoff, refinancing can actually be dangerous because um, if something happens to you, your co-signer is left with that loan. If you don't have sufficient emergency savings and plans to um, show that you have the financial capability to accelerate payoff, then refinancing, having three, that's three to six months of emergency savings, then refinance is probably not the best option as well. Obviously, um, the majority of people don't even qualify to refinance. So it's very much like these companies are building a huge funnel to funnel you into it to see if you qualify or not. But the reality is a lot of Americans do not because of their credit score as well. So the biggest miss is, is understanding things outside of refinance. Um, like the prime example I like to talk about is a plan called revised pay as you earn. The reason by the government, even if you're not a public servant, the reason why there's so much opportunity behind revised pay as you earn is because it reduces your payment to 10% of discretionary income, which is a formula by the government. And everything above that 10% of your discretionary income, 50% of all the interest is subsidized by the government. And doesn't that 50% doesn't accrue. It's subsidized by the government above what the government says you should be able to pay. So that's a huge opportunity for people, even in the private sector, to consider that plan if they have a lot of student loan debt, you know? So you're and saying so the, that you would, essentially, the interest rate that you'd be looking at is not necessarily the interest rate it would be computing at. Right, right. Because everybody just says, oh, I have 4% versus 6.5%. But it's not a straight up percent to percentage. It's about understanding how the amortization of the loan, which is a very complex thing, right? Understanding that it may actually be negative amortizing, which means that you may not fully pay the interest that is accruing by getting on a specific kind of federal plan. You're not paying back all the interest. It's a subsidy, kind of like a tax credit but for your student loan. And so I think it's important that advisors and individuals understand that there are options to protect yourself against the loss of a job, or if, especially if you're a woman and you're considering, if you're a woman and you want to at some point in your life, maybe take a few years off from work because you're financially well enough in your family to be able to take that time with your children. It's really good to um, be able to have an income-based repayment option, an income-driven, that's really what it's called, plan as an option because you can lower your payments in that time you're not working, right? So the time you want to take off. So the point is, is uh, when you refinance, you lose all those protections of being able to go on an income-driven plan or a, a plan based on your income. So that's the biggest miss I see is people refinancing or considering refinance too early uh, when and that's not to say that a refinance understand. wouldn't make always make sense because there are some circumstances where it may, but it's a right. very personal decision. It's not a blanket one size fits all. And there are some important considerations in terms of what you're giving up that is right. meant to sometimes protect the borrower mm -hmm. from life events. Right, precisely. It's not saying that refinance is evil, no one should do it. It's just understanding the market forces that push refinance and understanding, is refinance the best option for you? Is the best option to pay off as quickly as possible? Or is the best option to entertain a federal program that gives you some subsidy because of the amount of debt you have? It might be, it might be better for you to optimize your payoff and balance other financial decisions you make is all, right? Perfect. Yeah. So I, I hope that people are hearing that you have, 
you're a unique flower. You need to make your student loan decisions based on your life and your circumstances. It's not a one size fits all. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I am working with a couple educators right now who may be eligible for student loan forgiveness. Um, can you describe if you're a public, who, who has eligibility mm-hmm. for forgiveness? Is yeah. there a gap in knowledge there and what do you need to know? Yeah, so precisely. So what's so powerful, and here's another huge miss, and I'm going to talk specifically about teachers in a second. My sister's a public school teacher in D.C. and actually is a rare um, individual that actually got teacher loan forgiveness. There's a very specific program for teachers, but a huge miss is people not understanding state and federal level programs for their profession. So if you're a nurse, you're a social worker, you're a teacher, uh, you have access to special loan forgiveness programs. And so it's really important that you understand what they are at the federal level and at the state level and um, know what they are, know if For example, a lot of state level programs have applications and deadlines. So it's important you know what they are, get on those mailing lists. For the federal programs, um, they're more broad, like public service loan forgiveness. There's regular loan forgiveness. And then there's programs like the teacher loan forgiveness, as well as Perkins discharge, um, being able to discharge your Perkins loans. The biggest miss I see, number one, first of all, in order to qualify for public service loan forgiveness, which is for all public servants, not just teachers or nurses or social workers, like I mentioned before, it's for every anyone who works for a 501c3 that is a charitable 501c3 um, or government employee. That could be a school system. That could be municipal government, state government, federal government, right? Mm-hmm. In fact, um, the third largest employer in the United States is the public sector as an entity, the third largest. And in some states like the state of Michigan, the, the first, right? Right. Um, and so in 30 states, public servants are, is the, the largest se- um, segment of the workforce, okay? So it's huge. It's 30 states. It's the number one. So it's a huge percentage of the workforce. It's not some niche workforce, okay? Um, all of you all who essentially work for nonprofit or government – qualify for what's called the public service loan forgiveness program. That means that you make 120 minimal payments. When I mean minimal, it's it's based on your income. The government calculates. There's a formula. It's called discretionary income. They calculate based on your income. And anything that's left over after you make these 120 minimal payments, depending on your income, is then forgiven completely tax-free. And so in order to qualify for that, you have to file paperwork annually. The biggest mistake I see public servants make over and over and over, it doesn't mean, it doesn't matter if you're a teacher or even a public defender, okay? Public defenders who are attorneys make these mistakes too. They do not file both of the pieces of paper you got to file. They only file one. They file and renew their income-driven form, but they do not file their employer verification form. How does the government know you work for a nonprofit if you're not filing the employer verification form? So that must be filed, and that's a huge miss, okay? Or they might start the paperwork, think they filed it, but their HR never signed it or they never followed up, therefore it never gets filed and they try to run after it years later. Mm-hmm. And so the big miss is that people are not keeping on top of their employer verification. We recommend people file it annually. If you leave jobs, if you just filed it and leave a job, you need to file it again because you really want Fed loan to 
the federal servicer to know you're registering this employer. You are employed by them. They need to have evidence and proof of that. And so that's the biggest uh, miss. And luckily, our software, whether you use it through an advisor or you go start direct to consumer, we will file this paperwork for you and not just file it for you. We have human eyes that, although a lot of it is automated, human eyes that check to look that you are filling in the correct responses that are most advantageous to you based on your loan file, right? So we want to help people file their paperwork correctly so they increase their likelihood of getting loan forgiveness. That's huge. So that is, yeah. So it, this loan forgiveness is really just coming to bear its fruit because it was mm-hmm. created and then we needed to wait for those 120 payments, which mm-hmm. is the equivalent of 10 years. We're, I'm just starting to see a few of those loan forgiveness kind of tri- trickling in, but it's not easy to get everything all lined up in order to have that written off. Yeah. So right now you see those really scary statistics of 99% of people getting rejected. Those statistics are going to go down because you have to keep in mind, those are people that enrolled in the program literally like 12 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, that got rejected initially. And that was before the government had much clearer guidance on the requirements. And I think people were just not clear. So I think those numbers are going to go down, but it doesn't diminish the fact that the system and the process can still be complicated. A little bit of a beast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little complicated. And there's little things that they don't tell you that you have to do properly. They'll just kick back your uh, filing. But the good thing about Loan Sense is we've we've had a few kickbacks. And so we start to track what the servicers require as individual servicers. And that helps because then we can, we know if someone submits proof of income with scribbles on it, we're like, they won't accept scribbles. They don't know what you're hiding from them, right? <laughs> so they're not going to accept your proof of income with scribbles on it. Or, or like little things people do that they're like, oh, I just scratched out. I don't want them, them to know my fill in the blank. I scratched that out. And and I'm like, well, people don't know that they're not that they're gonna not accept it if they just scratch things out, right? So it's just like those tiny little hiccups that happen that just get paperwork rejected and people get frustrated and they're like, what? I have to file this form again. But the servicer doesn't always come back with a very clear explanation. They'll just reject it. And we help avoid all that by understanding where the hiccups are occurring. And when you submit your paperwork or fill out things in a way, we're like, no, they're not going to accept this. You know, So it just saves that time of waiting three weeks to a month to just get rejected. Now, I've heard in some cases, let's say that you're married mm-hmm. so that you would potentially mm-hmm. file your taxes jointly one of you is a public servant doing income base. The other mm-hmm. also highly educated, also receiving a higher income. Are there some cases I've heard where it may you may want to evaluate filing separately on your taxes? Yes, absolutely. So that's part of the calculator in Loan Sense is um, basically if you file jointly, right? So basically the rule of thumb is if you're filing jointly and your spouse has income but doesn't have loans and you're filing jointly, then the government's going to say you and your spouse's income should be what pays your loan. So we'll do the calculation together. Yeah. Right. They'll do the calculation. Well, they'll just say your spouse's income also is responsible for paying your loan. So if you're on an income driven plan, it shoots your payment up after you get married and you don't know. Right. Versus that then you have to wait. Like if your spouse has a lot of, has decent income, but also has loans, is it better to file jointly and understanding the split of that payment? Or is it better 
for each of you to still file separately depending on each of your debt to income ratio. So we do all those calculations for people. And then we recommend is filing separate worth it also based on the tax. There are um, some trade-offs. Yeah, there's trade-offs like the married file separate penalty, right? So there's a few trade-offs people need to consider. And so the rule of thumb really is if your spouse has good earnings, but doesn't have student loans, you jointly will make it. And especially if you're on an income driven plan, we'll make it so they count the other person's income. That's one to just know. Yep. Um, obviously, if you're, you're on like a standard plan where you just, the plan that's automatically given to you where you pay off your loans in 10 years, then the effect on you is, it's there Negligible. is no effect on you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's important to know based on, yeah, these factors, um, what are the best options for you? And at least just understanding the numbers and ultimately you as an individual need to decide what's best. So can you tell me how we would find the information about what your eligibility might be for forgiveness. Yeah. So um, for schools and educators, there's actually a database by the government on the teacher loan forgiveness application. Um, For everybody else, uh, the best thing to do is to ask your HR or even your finance department what are our, what is our IRS uh, categorization? Because there's some people that are like, oh, we're nonprofit. I don't know if we're 501 C3, C4, C5, C6. Mm-hmm. There's all these different things, right? The so executive just knowing, director or HR will know for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. So knowing, asking HR or ask finance department or whatever, what your categorization is, is probably the quickest and easiest way to get the answer. That would be my advice. Mm-hmm. Um, And yeah, that's the way to find out, you know, Um, because there's sometimes like, for example, like community colleges, people work at, they'll be like, I don't know if we're a nonprofit or government entity. And I'm like, at that point, there's cases where it could be either, you know, and I, I don't know the answer. It it depends on the IRS filings. There's an opportunity, but you need to clarify Mm -hmm. so that you can understand what rules you're, you're making decisions by. Mm Mm-hmm. Are there any other major misses that you you are trying to help people understand? The biggest thing I like to help advisors understand as well as individuals really is really making a loan plan, right? That is inclusive of their financial picture. But I think the miss is not understanding what is the best approach based on various factors? Like, should I be paying my loans off faster or should I actually be paying less and getting some access to loan forgiveness or lowering my payment, right? And I think the biggest miss is people understanding what bucket they belong into that will help them the most without understanding what the best approach to paying their loans is, right? Just sticking with a default of however it's yeah. set up. Yeah, or only focusing on the interest rate. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, another big miss is if, especially if they go into an income driven plan, whether it's regular loan forgiveness or public service loan forgiveness, is not understanding that every single year when you file, there's another decision that needs to be made, which is kind of annoying, but it is can actually be advantageous to you. So for example, every time a person work that works for that's trying to get loan forgiveness of any, any form is between jobs, that's when they should file their paperwork because they can get a $0 payment for a year. So when you're between jobs, if you file your income-driven plan, then you have zero income. So your loan is $0. You can get those $0 payments counted towards your 120 payments. So you reduce your entire loan burden automatically. So you could be filing under the public loan forgiveness, but there's times where you were not earning income, were not employed that could count toward your 120 months. Right. For example, 
you're not between, so you're, so this is the thing, right? You are in between your jobs. You reduce your payment to $0. You go to the next employer, you qualify them. So the employer qualifies for the next month. So, but, and then you qualify for that 11 months. You may not qualify for the full 12 months because you're in between the job. So Mm -hmm. yeah, because the, the income driven repayment form is separate from the employer verification form. So yeah, the answer is yes. You can reduce your payment and then, um, qualify your employer at the end of that year for that, that time, right? Is there two separate processes? I'm and glad so next, you're here to explain this. Yeah. Next this time not, when you qualify no. your, your employment again, that next year you'll have that employer. So your payment will be higher than zero, but for mm-hmm. that time you're in between jobs is a perfect time to reduce your payment, right? That's and helpful so that, because that's, if you're planning for forgiveness, you want to end up with a higher balance than if you were planning on paying it off because you have to. Right, right. So there's all kinds of these little tricks and strategies. So between jobs file. Also, if you're going to get married, understand how getting married and your tax filing status will affect your loan payment. Those are the two biggest things that I think people do not consider. It's kind of like filing your taxes, right? Some, you know, you need to do it. It's not the most pleasurable thing to do, but you know that if you don't hire help or you don't do it properly, you're going to end up owing more money than you would have otherwise, right? So it's very good to just get the proper advice to file it properly, your income taxes. Very similar with student loans. It's really important to pause, think, and understand how your actions of this past year, what happened to you can actually affect your loans. Like if you have a child, for example, your loan mm-hmm. payment also de- decreases because it de- because your amount of discretionary income requirement increases based on the number of dependents. So it's really important that you also know at that point, if you have a dependent, that you can file and also get your um, income-based repayment plan decreased, right? Whether that's for PSLF or regular forgiveness. That's- so I just like to point that out too. That's really helpful. I think that this is a good time to mention that it can be overwhelming when you, you know, think of someone who has gone through undergrad, then they've gone to grad school, they've accumulated the debt, but they've also, they have the human capital where now they're really earning money. And they also, as you probably know, having gone through um, years of higher ed, you've also kind of deferred a quality of life in many cases, you know, living like a student. So you're ready to live. You have big money decisions. You may be starting a family at the same time. So how do you save for retirement and catch up on some years when you weren't saving earlier? Pay off your student loans, plan to pay for a future college education because highly educated people don't, you know, are very intensely focused on their children's opportunities for education as well. It can seem overwhelming to juggle those different decisions and you may be ultra focused on one part of your life or the other. And I think it's helpful to have a financial planner who can help you to balance the different decisions and be focusing a little bit everywhere at once instead of, you know, kind of tunnel vision into one particular area. Yeah, precisely. And actually, Melissa, I just wanted to make one other statement. Yes. Now that we have the CARES Act that passed um, and most people, 95% of people are getting $0 payments. Right. It's really important to know that if you're going for loan forgiveness, you really need to file that paperwork now because if you don't, 
then you're not getting these $0 payments qualified towards loan forgiveness, okay? If you're not trying to go for loan forgiveness, then knowing what are you doing with that money while you're not paying your student loan to use it strategically. And if you do want to accelerate your payoff, do you want to consider making a lump sum payment before payments get kicked in back in in October, right? So what, are you, what is your plan? What is your strategy around the CARES Act is also hugely valuable for this time. Don't look at it as like, I don't have to pay it and make no, you could use this time to really either build up your nest egg and savings, or you can use this time to make important financial moves where when you're paying $500,000 in student loan payments every month, this is an opportunity like a of pause to think about what you're doing with that money or what you're doing with the paperwork so that you can get those, either those payments forgiven or what are you doing to build savings so that when September hits, are you going to make a lump sum payment to reduce your principal or what are you doing with that money, right? So I think it's really important that we think right now about this CARES Act and this time and how we can move forward past September in a way that really helps us reduce our student loan debt burden, whatever it is for you, right? Whether it's paying quicker or paying less. That's terrific advice for one particular client who is not eligible for public student loan forgiveness right now. um, We basically rerouted, we had worked really hard for the past year to get emergency reserves higher because Mm -hmm. one thing that happens when you have kind of learned to live with debt is you can learn to live with more debt when certain things come up. So um, we didn't have a lot of emergency reserves spent the last 12 months working on that. So then when we reviewed the CARES Act and how there weren't going to be payments required, um, then we went to a higher interest loan that um, is we're trying to knock off and we're making extra payments. The client is making extra payments there and then we'll return to the required payments in the fall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, precisely. So yeah, it's really important to Have think about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And know that this is six months of a longer term plan. It's not just six months, I do whatever and not, and forget there is a plan, right? That's well, what I there needs to be a plan. So that's, we right. both agree. Student loans can kind of, I hear all the time when I'm first working with somebody, hey, the student loan, like the balance never changes. I make a payment all the time. I don't see anything really changing. It just keeps floating there or even getting bigger. So have a plan, look at it. You know, will you be eligible for some forgiveness or if not, then, you know, let's get this out of your life. Um, And that doesn't always mean that we pay it off as quickly as possible. There are other factors Mm -hmm. to be considered, but don't let student loans happen to you after Mm -hmm. you've gotten kind of through the educational component, really be um, focused on having a game plan. And that there are plans you can file into that will help subsidize some of that interest. Yeah. Perfect. So I know on your website, you have great resource guides um, with a lot of interesting information. Um, If it's okay with you, I'll link to that in our show notes. And how can people find you, Catalina? Yeah. um, Well, people can find me at my email. That's the best way to reach me, Catalina com. Also, yeah, there is um, specific res- we have specific loan forgiveness guides for teachers, nurses, social workers directly on our homepage. Um, if you want other just general student loan information, you go- can go to resources.myloansense.com. We have like a resource library there. If not, you can always get started for free on our software just to see what we recommend. We basically take out your loan file, analyze all the different possible options, 
and tell you, you know, um, what are options for paying less versus paying more? And you have both of those visibly available as well as a even marriage tax tool calculator. So we have all kinds of different tools. We can help you um, file your paperwork, et cetera. But yeah, it's all available at myloansense.com. Sense is spelled like common sense, S-E-N-S-E. Perfect. Well, this has been fascinating. I could talk about it for much longer than 20 or 30 minutes. And, you know, I have a feeling we'll find an excuse to get together again. So thank you so much for your time and expertise and have a great day. Yeah. Thank you, Melissa, for having me. You can access our first two seasons of this podcast on our website at www.pearlplan.com or on Spotify. If you're interested in learning more about Pearl Planning, feel free to sign up for our newsletter also found on our website.